Colossians chapter number one, and uh, we started this this uh, sermon series last weekend, and uh, we did a lot into the context of Colossians. I'll mention a few things, but as review, but but really uh, we're going to move on to uh, some new material today. But look at Colossians chapter number one. Look at verse number nine. For this cause we also, Paul says, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Paul is writing this letter. This is a letter here to a church in Colossae from a prison cell. And so Paul is writing this. He's never met these folks. He's heard about them through a fellow laborer, Epaphras. And he says, since the day we heard of your faith, we started praying for you. And we keep praying for you that you hold on and you keep moving forward. But also Paul says this, and we desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord into all pleasing, being what church? fruitful in every good work and what? Increasing in the knowledge of God. We read that this morning. Paul's desire was that this church would increase in the knowledge of God. And because of their increase in the knowledge of God, they become fruitful in their Christian walk. And so we see verse 11, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, into the patience, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom, let's read the last verse, ready to begin, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Father, I pray that you'd help this message today to uh, resonate with us. Help us, God, to hear the words, but not just hear the words. I pray that they would land in our hearts. Holy Spirit, use this message to work in us today. We need your help. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Last week to jumpstart the message, I asked several questions. And the questions were not meant to be a discouragement, but what were meant to be a litmus test for you, and also to kind of get the, uh, the conversation maybe started in your own mind and in your own heart about where you are in, the, in your Christian growth. And so really what I am focused on and what I am praying for is a church that grows spiritually in 2021 spiritually grow. And I'm all for numerical growth. It's always exciting. The more people you have, it's always more exciting. And I'm always, I'm always wanting to see more people saved. And I'm not against those things, but we must be also growing spiritually, not just numerically. Amen. And so that's really my focus here. And so I hope that after the message last week and after these questions, that you look into your own heart and, and seek the Lord's face and your own growth So here are the questions. Am I stronger spiritually today than I was in January of last year? Am I stronger today than I was? Here's another question. What am I doing now to receive spiritual strengthening? Uh, If you want to um, have bigger muscles, you have to go to the gym or you have to lift weights. If you want to be stronger, you have to do an exercise. You don't just get stronger. You have to do something for that. And so what are we doing right now to receive spiritual strengthening? And of course, being in church is, is a big, a big part of that spiritual strengthening process. Do I desire to grow spiritually this year? Is there a desire in your heart to grow spiritually? And if it is, man, praise the Lord. And we want to have a burning desire in our hearts to grow spiritually. What are the steps that I should be taking now that will help me grow spiritually this year? And so if we want to grow spiritually, we have to take steps 
towards that. So that's all review, things that we talked about last week. And so there are three uh, really goals that I have for this sermon series all the way through the month of January. First, I would like you to know where you are spiritually. And I can't tell you that. Nobody can really tell you that, I guess. You have to spend time with the Lord and seek His face and spend some time in prayer and say, God, where am I spiritually? God, where am I with you? And like David said, search our heart. God, is there any wicked way in me? Is there something in me that I need to get right with you? And so I want us to, all of us, to understand where we are. Secondly, I'd like to give you some understanding and some help maybe on how to continue to grow. Uh, and so that's one of the jobs that I take very seriously is try to help, help you find that path of growth. And of course, the key is God's word. Amen. We have to use the Bible. We have to go to the Bible for growth. But I'd like to help you with that. And then lastly, the most important thing, I think, is to uh, see you have a commitment to that spiritual growth. And how many understand, uh, uh, how many of you started a brand new Bible reading uh, a program at the beginning of the year? And we, we, I like to do that every year and try to read through my Bible or whatever. Boy, it starts out great. I'm excited. And, you know, I got Genesis, no problem, you know, and Exodus, great. And then, oh, Leviticus, Lord, help me. Amen. And then Numbers. And then Deuteronomy. And then Joshua's pretty good in the number. No, I'm just kidding. All the books of the Bible are incredible, and I enjoy reading. And you can, read, you can learn something from every book of the Bible. And all God's people said, amen. amen. We ought to read those things. But boy, that commitment really starts to, uh, starts to come into play when you start to read through Leviticus and those things. And, and, uh, and so we, we need to stay committed to our spiritual growth. I made three statements last week. This is all review, and I'll move on. But Three quick statements. Number one, spiritual growth is not automatic. It does not happen automatically. Nothing grows properly without effort. Brother Dole came up to me last week. He goes, I thought of something. He goes, dandelions. And that's true. Weeds do grow a lot easier. But, but the truth is today that, that nothing that's worth growing just happens on its own. Amen? And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. Think about a child. A child is born, and you don't just put the child in a room by itself and it grows. No, you have to feed it. Amen. And then it becomes a teenager and you have to feed it and feed it and feed it. Amen. Amen. My son, he got a brand new suit. He turned 15 this last week and he got a brand new suit for his birthday. One of his grandmas bought him that. And, and I said, you know, last night I'm going to iron the suit and, I, and I'm looking at this suit and I'm looking at him. I'm thinking, I don't know this is going to fit. And sure enough, man, it's just, it's already tight. And, you know, anyway, uh, but if you want something to grow, you got to do something. You got to take care of it. You got to feed it. And that's the same thing with our spiritual lives. I said, that's the same thing with our spiritual lives. Last week, I said this, uh, 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 our Christian life is not like a, a ship on the ocean. It's like an airplane. A ship on the ocean can stop, anchor out. It can go backwards. But in the Christian life, if it's like an airplane, if you stop growing, guess what happens? Amen? You got to keep moving forward. And so Christian growth is not automatic. Number two, Christian growth is not linear. You say, what does that mean? Some Christians have the thought or the impression that once you reach a certain stage in your Christian walk, that, hey, I'm good, I've crossed this line, and I'm good. But that's not the way that it is. The truth is, is that we're all prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. 
And so oftentimes we slide a little bit. Sometimes, man, we're on fire for the Lord and God is using us in our life. And then, boy, we get distracted, we get busy and we slide. And so uh, maybe you're here, you've been saved a long time. Uh, Don't get too comfortable. Keep growing. I said keep growing and keep serving the Lord and keep moving forward in life. And then lastly, uh, spiritual growth is worth it. I feel like it's freezing in here. How's everyone else doing? Is anybody cold? I see a lot of hands. Can you guys help me with that, Brother Russell, with the heat? I, I, I see some meat hanging in the back. I'm not sure, but, but uh, anyways, uh, I'm cold and I'm moving around up here. So here's lastly, and this is really true. Isn't it true, number three, that spiritual growth is always worth it? I've never one time in my whole life have I had anybody ever come up to me and say, you know, I just, I cannot believe that I grew spiritually last year. This is the worst mistake I ever made. I mean... I wish I hadn't grown spiritually. No, that's never the case. It's always worth it. And so uh, uh, once, once we understand that it's worth it, it's a motivation for moving forward. All right, so we're all caught up. Everybody all caught up? That's last week, okay? Are you ready? How many ready to move on, Pastor? Let's move on. All right, here we go. So that's all last week. We talked last week about how essential Christian growth is, the enemies against Christian growth. So today we're going to go a little bit into the different stages of Christian growth. Now, understand... This is going to be more of a teaching message today, but I understand this might be oversimplifying things. Uh, There's a billion stages to Christian growth, I understand, but I want to boil it down to just a couple of key, uh, key stages. And so the first stage that we're going to talk about is the learning stage, the learning stage. And this is sort of the first stage. Sometimes we call this stage discipleship. And we're always in discipleship, but it's those first uh, 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 stages in life. We take big steps and learning. And by the way, like I said, uh, Christian growth is not linear. We, all, we will always be in the learning stage. Amen. How many of you are still learning things about God? I mean, it's incredible. The, this book right here, you can study it your whole life. Never scratch the surface, the depths and riches of God's word. And so we're always learning. But this first stage, I want to just illustrate uh, with you today. So today I want to help us to understand how does this first stage begin? How do we continue to grow in this stage? And what should the results be? So number one this morning, let's talk about the learning stage begins with faith. The learning stage begins with faith. Look at what Paul says in verse three of Colossians one. He says, we thank God and the father, Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of what? Your faith in Christ Jesus. Paul wasn't interested in how big their church building was. Paul wasn't really interested in how cool their rock band was or whatever they had going on back then. Paul was interested in the faith that this church had. This is where our learning stage begins is in faith. We understand this morning that the only way to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, with God, is through faith. It's through faith. We have to understand this this morning. It's the beginning stages. Take your Bibles and go to John chapter number 14. It's in your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And so we understand this morning that when we put our faith and trust in Christ, okay, we come to Christ. There's a lot of different terms we use for that. We call it being saved. We call it being born again. I love the term born again because you only get born again once. And you can't be born again and again and again and again and again and again and again. You get born again once. That's John chapter 3. We don't have time to go into that scripture, but the truth is there. We only get born again. We only get saved, come to Christ. Uh, There's a lot of terms that are used out there uh, uh, one time. And when we come to Christ, now stick with me here. This is a little bit of doctrine. Is everybody watching me up here? When we come to Christ, we come to him in faith and we say, okay, I'm not going to trust in my works anymore. 
It's not how good I am. Uh, I'm not going to trust in my religion, my church, my family. I'm not going to trust in whatever, ticking the boxes. I'm going to put my faith and trust in Christ, in Him alone. That's the moment of time, faith, decision. At that moment in time, Brother Paul, we receive the Holy Spirit. Immediately. Amen? Amen. That's what the Bible teaches. And we could go into Bible study about that later, but that's what the Bible teaches. You, when you get saved, you get filled up with the Holy Spirit as much as you'll ever be filled. So some people, they try to conjure up the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's not the way that it works. You have the Holy Spirit once you're saved. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You, have, you are as full of the Holy Spirit as you're going to get full. The, you say, well, what, what do you mean when you say, well, I got to be filled with the Holy Spirit and I got to, here's what we mean by that. You have the Holy Spirit. He ha, you have the Holy Spirit in you. But does the Holy Spirit have control of you? When you're, when we, we use the terminology almost incorrectly, but it's not. We say, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. What we mean by that is, I'm letting the Holy Spirit control me. It's less of me and more of Him. Less of me and more of Him. And sometimes I am filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm letting the Holy Spirit use me, but, but I didn't get like a, He didn't like pour Holy Spirit in me. Amen? Does that make sense to everybody? And so, and so I know some are confused because of the book of Acts, and Acts is a transitional book, but if you study the New Testament, you study Paul, you understand uh, the whole, what, what is said here. We get that Holy Spirit. Now, I said all that to say this. Look at John 14, 26. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, I'm leaving you. They don't understand that. They think he's there for good. They think he's setting up shop, going to become the king, but that's not what's going to happen. Jesus isn't going to stay. He's going to die on the cross for us. That was Jesus' purpose the first time he came, was to die. And so look at John 14, 26. Jesus says, after I go, the comforter, which is the who? Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Salvation is the decision of a moment But growing in Christ is the process of a lifetime. And the Holy Spirit is the one that helps us grow. You see, without the Holy Spirit in us, it is impossible for us to understand spiritual things. Take your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Sometimes, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Sometimes in our Christian walk, we come to Christ and we start making decisions about uh, following God, and we start making decisions about, well, I'm going to go to church, or I'm going to stop hanging out, drinking with the guys, and, and, and you understand what I'm saying. And sometimes our friends, or sometimes our coworkers will say, what in the world's going on with you? What's wrong with you? Can I ask you a question, Christian? Do you ever look at the news media and think, what in the world is going on with people? Do you not hear yourself talking right now? Do you not understand the decisions that you're, and so we see the world, and we think, what's their deal. Why can't they see how wrong this is? And the answer to that is right here, 1 Corinthians 2.14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. You see, the Spirit of God is teaching you things, but the natural man doesn't have that. That word natural man means the unsaved man. The man has not come to Christ. He says he receives not the, the, the things of the Spirit of God, for they are what, church? Foolishness unto him, Neither can, he, uh, neither can he know them 
because they are spiritually discerned. So don't get frustrated with your, your unsaved friends when you get saved because they can't understand it. They don't have the Holy Spirit telling them what to do. Don't get, I, I get frustrated every day of my life uh, with what's going on around me. But honestly, the truth is they don't have the Holy Spirit. We do. And so we understand that the moment of faith, the moment of faith is where the learning process begins because the Holy Spirit's the one who teaches us. Letter A, we see that we are saved through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith, not of works, not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. Boy, I, I, man, look at how good I am. Uh, look at what a good a job I did. No, no, no. Salvation, coming to Christ, is through faith. In other words, it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with him. That's, our, that's how we are saved. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw an illustration today real quickly here. I don't want to be a distraction. But when we come to Christ in our life, this moment in our life, I drew my circle too small. I'll delete that. There we go. When we come to Christ in our life, this moment in time of our life is, is faith. And so we see that our life is, is, is uh, after Christ is a new life in Christ. So what, is, what happens before? What happens before Christ? What is all that? What does Paul say? He says it's loss. Everything before Christ is loss. Paul says everything I've done is loss. When we come to Christ, we come to him in faith. We see this in, in Colossians chapter number one, verse four. And then look in verse five of Colossians chapter one. Paul says that we have what? Hope. We have hope. So let's say this is the end of our life here, and we have hope. What are we hoping in? Heaven. How many want to go to heaven? Amen. Somebody didn't raise your hand. You're kind of concerning me. Uh, maybe you're trying to figure out, like, why my handwriting is so bad. But, but how many want to go to heaven? Amen. It's like that old country song. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go right now. Amen. Um, we, all, we all have that hope of eternal life in heaven. Our spiritual life begins with faith. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, that's where your spiritual life begins. And we have a hope. We have a hope in Christ. Everything else is lost. I said everything else is lost. Only our faith in Jesus Christ brings us into our new life. So no matter, here's the encouragement, no matter how old you are, here's the encouraging part. You say, well, man, I, all my life was, I wasted my life. Listen, if you get saved at 50 years old, let me tell you something. Live your life for Christ now. You have a new life in Christ. It's a brand new start, a clean slate. And you might be a teenager and think, man, I've wasted my teen years. You listen, I understand all that, but put your faith in Christ right now and live this, this last life that you got. What do you have left? Live for him. Live for him. Think about what Jesus accomplished in three years. And live for Christ. How many of you, <laughs> this is going to probably hurt some marriages today, but how many of you, have a friend or a loved one who waits until the very last second to stop the car. All right, you're driving down the road, you see there's a stoplight, you see, this, you see the lights, and you're thinking to yourself, are you going to stop? Are you going to stop? Are you going to stop now? And so you reach up and you grab that thing right here, you're pushing the imaginary brake, and you're like, what's going on? You know what I'm talking about? The other day I was with Robert Brechtel, and we went to... Home Depot the other day. I got saved three times that one trip alone, man. I'm telling you. Is Robert back there? I'm sorry, Rob. I'm just messing with you. But how many have somebody in your life that does that? They wait till the last second, slam on the brakes. Raise your hand. Point to the person. Who is it? Yeah, okay, yeah. I'll be fighting all the way home. 
You see, that's faith. That's faith. Because if you didn't have faith in those breaks, you wouldn't do that. You would wait. Uh, you, you, you wouldn't wait. You, you would start way back. You would start putting second gear, first gear. You, you, if you were putting a lot of trust in a brake pad about that big <laughs> to stop you. When I was in Bible college, I was working with this company, and I was riding with my boss, and he had a really nice BMW X5, beautiful car. And we're driving probably about 60, 70 miles an hour on the 101, and he's driving like a maniac. He's weaving in and out of people and doing all this stuff, and and I'm sitting there, I'm just holding on for dear life, praying that God will save me, you know. And this happens to me a lot. <laughs> so I'm holding on. And, and all of a sudden, he, 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 he gets this panic look on his face. And he was kind of doing this number, but now he's doing this. And I said, what's going on? He goes, I, I don't have any brakes. And he's pumping the brakes, and we're weaving in and out of people. He's got no brakes. And my dad taught me how to drive, which, man, we ought to teach our sons how to drive. Amen? That was free. Anyway. My dad taught me how to drive, and he always told me that if something like that happens, you could either use your gears to slow down, or you could use the emergency brake, or whatever. So I'm driving, and then he's panicking, and I look down, and I see that he's got the emergency brake right here. And I just reached over, and I grabbed it, and I start pulling it up slowly. He's, he's weaving in and out of people, and I'm stopping the car, and we came to a complete stop. He had his brakes done earlier that day, and they didn't connect something right, and his brakes... Yeah, he got free tires for life, but anyway... <laughs> You know, sometimes those, those of us that don't know Christ as our Savior, we're counting on something to keep us from going to hell. What are you counting on? What are you putting your faith in? If you're putting your faith in your works, it's not going to keep you from going to hell. As the Bible says that, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of works. Not of works. Not of works, lest any man should boast. The only thing that saves us is faith in Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today, may I just encourage you. Heaven is wonderful. Hell is not. Hell is terrible. And you want to, listen, I'm not, I don't like preaching this stuff, but it's Bible. And we need to make sure that we understand where we're going when we die. Amen. Amen. And so maybe you're here today. You don't know for sure heaven's your home. Listen, put your faith and trust in Christ. Don't put your faith in anything else. We see that. The beginning of our life is faith, and that's where faith begins. And that's the, this, this point right here is the moment of salvation. That's the time in our life where we come to Christ. But then we have this whole life to live. And so we see letter B that we're strengthened through faith. We're saved through faith, but we're also strengthened. That's what Paul says in verse 11, strengthened with all might. God wants us to be strong Christians. He wants us to be strong but not according to our own power, but according to his glorious power. And so Paul's desire wasn't that these Christians just get saved and just uh, have a profession in Christ, but also to increase in their knowledge of God. Why? What's the point of that? What's the point of us uh, growing spiritually? And that's going to bring us to point number two. Number two is the learning stage continues in grace. So we understand that it begins in what? Faith. Our, 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 the learning stage begins with faith. Our Christian life begins with faith, but it continues in grace. So I'm going to draw this line. I know this is a silly illustration, but I just want to draw this line. In our life, we want to grow. We want to continue an upward trajectory. And this line, I'm going to title grace. Grace allows us to grow. Take your Bibles and go to 2 Peter chapter number 3. 2 Peter chapter number 3. Now, as you're turning there, I want to use this illustration to try to help us understand 
what it means to grow in grace. It took me a long time to understand this concept. And I grew up in church. And it wasn't because the pastors I was under couldn't explain it. I just didn't get it. I'm kind of, I have kind of a fixed skull. Anybody else? Okay. Only one of us. Okay, well, we're good. You, me, David. Here's what it means to grow in grace. How many of you expect, now listen to the question carefully. How many of you expect your kids to be perfect? No one. Somebody raised their hand this morning. Can you believe that? (laughs) I won't tell you his name, Dan Miller. Anyway, expect our kids to be perfect. No. Matter of fact, how many of you parents expect your kids to make mistakes? It's, It's as expected. Your son puts bleach in the colors, and he bleaches the colors out. It's a what? It's a mistake. We didn't teach him to do that. We taught him to do something else. But he made a Your son that uh, 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 disobeys his dad and accidentally backs the car into the garage. It's a sin to disobey your parents. And so it's not just a mistake, but it's also a sin. But as a parent, you kind of understand that those things are going to happen. You don't uh, get out a gun and kill your kid every time they make a mistake. Otherwise, there'd be no people. Amen? No, you give them grace to grow. You don't teach them to make mistakes. You try to steer them away from mistakes. You try to teach them the truth. You try to show them the truth. And and you do your best. You do your absolute best. But they still make mistakes. But you give them grace to grow. Son, I understand you made a mistake. Here's what you need to do differently next time. Let me show you how to do this. And and we try to teach our kids. Why? Because look at 2 Peter 3, verse 18. But grow in what? Grace. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now, forever. Amen. Peter phrases this interesting in an interesting way that catches our attention. He says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of God. You see, growing in our Christian life, increasing in our Christian life is twofold. There's two things that happen. First of all, letter A is grace gives us this space to grow. Uh, look at what Paul says. He says, which is come unto you. He's talking about the gospel, the church at Colossae. He says, it bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard it, and knew the grace of God in truth. Paul says that, and it's an interesting thing to think about. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. Now, these two are very important, and I'm I'm going to try to help you understand the way that I see it. Letter B here is grace and truth are inseparable. Grace and truth are inseparable. You see this bottom line here. We see this is our life. And the top line is us growing in grace. As we continue in our life to, as we continue to increase in truth. Well, that was terrible, wasn't it? To increase, to increase in truth. That's increasing in the knowledge of God, which is reading your what? Your Bible. And it's learning who God is. It's coming to church and sitting in a church service. I think it's too hot now, guys, if you could turn that off. <laughs> Am I wrong? Is it hot in here? And so as we, as we learn about God and we read our Bibles and we go to church, we increase. See this bottom line? We increase in our life. But at the same time as we increase in truth, what happens at the top line? We increase in grace. Grace. You see, these two lines have to grow and do grow at the same time. As you increase in the knowledge of God, we also increase in grace. These two lines are inseparable. There's a special relationship between grace and truth. You say, what do you mean? Truth without grace is religion. 
Truth without grace is religion. It's I have to, and I must, and I need to. If I want God's favor, I must, I have to. It's the truth. It's, the, it, it's, it's, it's the, what I have to do. It's the religion side of it. And may I just say this morning, you say, what's the difference between uh, uh, being a Baptist or being a, uh, being a believer, a Bible believer, and every other religion in the world? I'll tell you this right here. Christianity is the only belief that truly believes in grace. If you're here today and you believe in the Bible, you're the only person. Uh, there's no other religion that believes in grace. You say, what do you mean? What other religions teach is, well, if I want to uh, come back as a, you know, instead of coming back as a beetle, I want to come, not like, not like the beetles in the 60s. I'm talking about like a beetle, like a bug. <laughs> if I want to come back as a beetle, uh, I don't want to come back. I want to, I want to come back as a, an eagle or whatever. I need to be better. I need to, I need to work harder. I need to be a better person. You see, uh, whatever religion, whatever context, they have the, their, their truth, okay, is that they have to be better. They have to do more. They have to work harder if they're going to receive favor, whatever that favor is, not for Christians. Here's the exciting part. Here's the exciting part. You know what grace is? Grace is unmerited favor. You see, God gives us grace when we don't deserve it. Not favor when we do deserve it. He gives us grace when we don't deserve it. Isn't it true that you are a sinner just like me? And before I came to Christ, I had a laundry list of sins. And when I came to Christ, while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. And peradventure would a good man some dare to die. But when I was a sinner, Christ reached way down and he saved me. That's grace. Undeserved favor. And as Christians, we believe in that. And we must grow in that grace. And as we grow in that grace, it's like God, as our Father, He says, okay, I know you're a sinner, but I'm going to give you grace to keep growing. And I'm going to give you more grace to keep growing. You know who embodied the, uh, the perfect relationship between grace and truth? Jesus Christ. Take your Bibles and go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Don't worry, people are just starting to leave in and out. There will be open for you. When you leave here, they'll have Sam. I'll make sure they have sandwiches ready for you. John chapter number one, verse 14. Look what it says. The word was made flesh. That word is a capital W. It's talking about Jesus Christ. The word, Jesus Christ was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the father. Full of what? Grace and truth. He was full of grace and truth. Look at verse 17. For the law was given to Moses, but what? Grace and truth came by Christ Jesus. And so here's the point. As we grow in truth, as we recognize, man, this is who God is. This is what God has done. Look at, what God, look at how God ha, ha, has planned the plan of redemption through the scriptures. And we learn about God and we learn about, we also grow in grace. Here's the exciting part. None of us here, none of us are perfect. And so we will always need grace. The more you learn about God, you will still need grace. Our church is not, some people say this, I don't know why they say this, but churches like ours that believe in preaching and believe in the Bible, they say that we're all about behavior modification. No, we're not. I'm, I, we believe in the truth of God's word. And if God's word says that we're supposed to do it, that's what we do. I do modify my behavior according to God's word. Amen. 
And so it's not about, you know, trying to please man. And I understand we got to be careful of trying to please somebody else. But we ought to recognize that the Bible tells us to do some things. Amen? I'm going to come down here for a minute. The Bible tells us to do some things. It tells us to go to church. Forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. The Bible tells us to forgive our brothers. Forgive them as I will forgive you. The Bible tells us to pray. And so it's not just about modifying our behavior, but we want to grow in truth. But at the same time, we recognize I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. And so grace and truth grow together. And what happens when grace and truth grow together? Guess what else grows? Our fruitfulness. Our fruitfulness. And that's number three today, and I'll close. Number three, what is the result or what should be the result of the learning stage? Fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. I've known Christians that got saved younger in life, and boy, they lived their entire life, didn't grow. And here's the thing. Let's just be honest for a second. That person is just as much saved as I am. Amen? I could live my whole life dedicated to Christ. I could, do, I could be like Paul the Apostle and, and, and just sacrifice my life for the Lord. And I am just as saved as the guy who never does one thing. That's grace. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? See, in our perspective, that's not fair. No, it's not. That's grace. Amen? But I've known Christians over the years that, that they get saved and they don't grow. And I've known Christians that get saved and they grow very quickly. The, the difference between someone who grows in truth and in grace, the only real difference is it's not about heaven. It's about our fruitfulness. And as we grow in our Christian life, the goal is to bear more fruit. And we, we don't have time to get into what that fruit is, but we could talk about the fruits of the Spirit. We could talk about leading souls to Christ. There's a lot of fruit that we can have in our life. But the goal is to increase to bear fruit. And so the learning stage should result in that. Paul says, look at verse 10 of Colossians chapter 1. Isn't this what Paul's saying? He says, that she might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in what? Every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul's saying, we increase, we grow because we want to be fruitful I want to bear more fruit in 2001 than I did last year. I want to. I desire that. And so what happens when we grow, and I'm almost done, but what happens when we grow uh, both in truth and both in, in grace? We increase our fruitfulness. So I want to draw one more, one more illustration here. So I'm going to use this the next couple of weeks as well. So let's just draw this box here. And let's say that this box is the learning stage. Now, I'm on, I, like to, I like to see like graphs and stuff. That's how I think. But, but the learning stage is, is kind of that first stage. By the way, we never exit the learning stage. We're always learning. But let's just say that you've been saved and you're, you're starting to grow. You're starting to see growth in grace in your life. There's several things that happen when we start to grow. Letter A here is we learn about sin and obedience. And so when we first get saved, for most of us, if... If, if I was to say the percentage of sin and self in our life and, and obedience to God in our life, chances are there's a lot more sin in our life than obedience in our life. When we first come to Christ, we live, most of us, when we first come to Christ, we're living for ourself. Is that not true? The world teaches us to live for ourself. It's all about me. It's all about what, what I can get and how comfortable I am. And so when we first come to Christ, we recognize that our life is full of sin and self. And then we start to learn what it means to obey God. 
the first step, one of the first steps, obedience of a new believer is baptism. And you learn about that. You think, man, I need to be baptized if I've come to Christ. And then you learn, man, uh, there's all kinds of things that, I, that, I, that, I, that Christ wants from me. But, but listen, he is our father. He expects us to make mistakes, but he also expects us to grow. Paul says that you might walk worthy unto the Lord. Our walk, the older that we get and the more that we grow, should become more pleasing to the Lord. As we grow in our spiritual life, sin ought to become more of the exception in our life. We never get to the point, listen carefully, we never get to the point where we can look at our week and say, man, I'm so thankful I didn't sin this week. (laughs) Never going to happen. But it ought to be in our Christian life as we grow that that line of sin goes down and that line of obedience goes up. Amen? And we learn about that in this stage As we become Christians, we recognize the Holy Spirit begins to convict us of things. I remember growing up, and I remember not feeling sorry for my sin before I was saved. But boy, I'll tell you, once you come to Christ and and you get saved, the Holy Spirit, boy, isn't he something else? Ah, don't do that. Well, come on, we try to justify it. And the Holy Spirit says, no, you're not justifying it with me. (laughs) And the Holy Spirit begins to convict us, and we begin to grow Another thing that happens, too, in this stage, and we'll we'll finish here quickly, is we learn about the blessings of obedience. The blessings. How many of you remember when you were a kid? I'm still very warm. If if one of the guys could shut the air off, please. One of the things, how many, when you were a kid, you remember this? You wanted to go stay the night at someone's house, or you wanted to dress a certain way, or you wanted to go do something, and your parents said, no! No! And you thought to yourself, Brother John, I know, I know your parents. You thought to yourself, man, these, they're crazy. What, why don't they let me do this? Am I the only person this happened to? And you start to think, what? They're just trying to ruin like, my life here. I, I just, man, I just want to wear baggy pants, Dad. Come on. I grew up in the 90s. so. And so we, we go, I don't understand why my dad won't let me. I don't understand why my mama. And we don't understand. We don't understand the blessings of obedience. Does anybody here have a dog? Anybody here have a cat? Anybody here have both? Lord help you, amen. Anybody here ever take your animal to the vet? Has anybody here ever convinced your dog or your cat that what's happening is good for them? (laughs) Never going to (laughs) happen. You see, God is trying to teach us some things that obeying him is the best option. But in our minds, we think, no, it's not. I don't, I don't see the math here. It's kind of like the dog owner who finds out his dog has a tumor. And he knows that tumor is going to kill that dog. And so out of love and compassion for his pet, he takes that dog to the vet. And he brings that dog into the vet. And the, and, and the dog hates it. The dog doesn't like the shot. The dog doesn't like the cut. The dog doesn't like the fact that it's under all, this, uh, all these things. The dog definitely doesn't like the stitches. It, and as a matter of fact, afterwards, it tries to scratch it. It tries to See, the dog doesn't recognize that what the, the, the owner of that dog is trying to do is he's trying to help that dog. And the dog thinks, why is, why is my owner being so mean to me? And sometimes we're like that dog with God. God is trying to to teach us his ways are the best ways. His ways are the best. No, 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 no. I know, I know, I know better. If you know better than God, Lord help you. Amen. And I understand that, that we don't always understand everything. But listen, his ways are so much higher than our ways. Sometimes we just have to trust in him. But we learn about the blessings of obedience. And then lastly today, we learn 
how to bear fruit in the learning stage. And I'm done. But on this line here, as we grow, as we grow spiritually, the more that we grow, the more fruitfulness that we have in our life. And isn't that the goal? To bear fruit? I'll close with this illustration. A number of years ago, the Associated Press released a study done by an agricultural school in Iowa. It was reported that 100 bushels of corn grown on an acre of land, in addition to farmer's labor, it required 4 million pounds of water, 6,800 pounds of oxygen, 5,200 pounds of carbon, 160 pounds of nitrogen, 125 pounds of potassium, 75 pounds of sulfur, and many other elements that cannot be listed. In addition to these things, which, by the way, no man can produce, rain and sunshine at the right time was critical. It was estimated through this report that only about 5% of the production of corn is attributed to the efforts of man. And here's the truth, and this is an encouraging truth to me today. You don't have to rely 100% on yourself to grow spiritually. Aren't you grateful for that? It's not all on you. We just got to keep increasing. Keep learning about God. Keep reading our Bibles. It's as simple as getting our Bible out in the morning on a Monday morning after a long night and just spending some time with God. It's as simple as just coming to church and sitting and letting the Holy Spirit work in us. If we just commit to increasing, God is the one that does all the rest. And God can help you grow today. The Holy Spirit can help you grow. It's not all on your shoulders. So the learning stage begins with faith. Put your faith in crust, crust, amen. Put your faith and trust in Christ. If you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, do that today. It'll be the best decision you ever made. The learning stage continues by grace. We stand in that grace, and today grace is always greater than our sin. And lastly today, the result should be fruitfulness. I hope this year, I hope this year that I bear more fruit than I did last year. How many say, Pastor, that's my prayer. Let's pray today. Father.